tired of offending people who don't believe in Jesus. Oh, what do I think? Who cares? Let's tell them the truth. Don't give me, they're just living their truth. Let God be true and every man a liar. In other words, if it doesn't come from the book, it's not true. Revival is in the air. And boy, do we need it. I'm going to discuss the Asbury Revival from a distance. I didn't get there. I was going to. I got sick. In fact, I'm still sick. Pray for me. But I'm here to bring you your favorite out of the week, The Deep End on Tim Hatch Live. All right, everybody. Welcome in. Yes, if you can hear some nasal congestion, it's because I have been struggling with a sickness over the last four days. And... It has beaten me up. I got off to a very late start today. So I'm bringing you this content, an abbreviated episode today, to discuss something that's incredibly important, the Asbury Revival, and then historical revivals, and then the biblical stance on revivals. And I hope it helps you today to discern what you're hearing or what you may have heard or how you need to feel about what's happening in Wilmore, Kentucky, of all places. This is great. Welcome to season six, episode 23 of The Deep End, where we talk about news and culture and social issues of the day from a Christian worldview. My name is Tim, and if you would do me a big favor and hit that like button and that subscribe button and that notification bell. Yes, I'm asking you to do three things right now. Even if you don't know if you like it yet, hit the like button. I'd be very happy if you did that. Our culture is deteriorating. Uh, Just two weeks ago, a Satan worship event happened at the Grammy Awards. Then Rihanna grabbed her pregnant crotch during the Super Bowl halftime show several times. Drag queens have more rights getting into public libraries than local pastors. And our schools are indoctrinating kids into gender confusion, Marxist socialism, and climate alarmism, which sends them into extreme bouts of depression like never before. When you tell the kids that their past is racist, and that their future is planetary destruction. What do you expect them to feel? I ran across this meme of Greta Thunberg, and I thought it was very appropriate. In 2080, Greta saying, the earth has just 12 years left. Yeah, they've been beating this drum for how many decades? And seriously, it's been foisted upon the educational institutions of several states that this is now required educational programming to tell kids that they're destroying the planet and they might as well just off themselves to fix Mother Earth. But you tell kids that their past is racist, they shouldn't even be here, their country is stolen property, the future is bleak. What, what do you want to see the kids do? What, what do you expect the kids to do? The kids are not all right. And that takes me first to Deep End News. Deep, 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 deep End News. The news you choose if you could choose news. Yeah, so this is out of CBS News reporting last week. And very, very sad news here. One out of three high school girls in the U.S. say they have seriously considered suicide recently. Just going to read it to you. Around one in three high school students, high school girls, sorry, girls is important there. Girls in the U.S. have seriously considered attempting suicide according to a new result from the Center for Disease and Control and Prevention Survey in 2021, up from less than a fifth of teen girls in 2011. And more than half of teen girls, 57%, reported feeling persistently sad or hopeless, a record high number. By contrast, 14% of high school boys told the 2021 survey that they had seriously considered attempting suicide, up from 13% in 2011. Any increase, by the way, of kids 
and suicide is alarming, is bad news. It's a sign that we're failing the most vulnerable among us. I mean, I'm not depressed. I'm not anxious. I don't get it. But I'm a 46-year-old man. I'm a grown-up. I've got three kids and a wife and a house. I've accomplished a few things in my life. I, I, I don't remember what it was like to struggle with the things that teens struggle with. And I admit that to you. And I think parents, could you just pay attention for a second here with me? We need to remember something that is phenomenally important as parents. We were never our teenage kids' age. You were never their age. This is so important. The world has changed tremendously. And I, I feel for young people now more than ever before. It's tough, especially if you want to serve Christ. To that end, we should be glad that God is pouring out his spirit on young people in a multi-denominational Christian school in the middle of America. See, I, I, don't, I didn't wrestle with what kids were wrestling with today, what kids are wrestling with today. When I was growing up, yeah, I was bullied a little bit, I guess, I made fun of, pantsed, you know, those kind of things. The things that normal kids struggle with. Yeah, I was left out of a few parties or events. I sometimes felt like a dork, out of place, 100%. But I never had one of these things. A 24-hour, seven-day-a-week window into the lives of my classmates and what they were doing with or without me. I did not have a window into what they thought about me when they were ticked off at me for a few hours, as all kids tend to be. You didn't have it, parents. And we need to have special grace for our kids. And we need to pray and cry out to God for them. I saw this meme online, and I, I got cracked up when I saw this meme. But teachers, when I was a kid, here's the regularly dressed te teachers saying, I hope you had a good recess. It's time for math. Teachers now, and you can see them all today with all their pink and red hair. Whiteness is a privilege. Now who is ready to hear about my sexuality? I mean, it's true. Consider the number, like I talked about last week, the number of gender clinics in 2022 as compared to the number of gender clinics in 2007. These are pediatric gender clinics, by the way. What was there, two in 2007? Now, now there's 45 or so in 2022. It's insane. A few months ago, this man made news, and I want to put his picture up here. I don't know if you remember this. This is a Canadian shop class teacher who made international headlines for wearing a gigantic prosthetic breast pair and sporting them inside the school, raising questions about whether the Vogel costume is just an act or not. Now, the school board spoke up on this. The school board chair, Margot Shuttlesworth in Ontario, said that protecting his gender rights was the stance the school board would take and they would stand behind the teacher. This is a shop class teacher in a high school in Canada. Well, the neighbor has been spying out, spying on this shop class teacher and finds out, guess what? He doesn't wear those prosthetic breasts or dress like a woman all the time. In fact, this is how he looks most of the time. This is a news report out of the New York Post. Trans teacher with size Z <laughs> prosthetic prosthetic breast dresses as a man outside of school neighbor says so this neighbor just followed him for a few weeks and found out that it was all just an act he dresses regularly he walks around goes goes everywhere else like a normal middle-aged man but he dresses up like a perv a woman with enormous breasts in a high school why because because this fool this this pig this disgusting man gets some kind of sexual kink out of doing that in front of teenagers. And this is the kind of stuff. I mean, I know this is, an exact, this is an extreme example. It's not happening everywhere. But this is the kind of stuff 
that our teens are being faced with, are facing every single day in their high schools to that extent or to a lesser extent. Parents, you were never their age. I was never your kid's age. I was never my kid's age because the world is totally different. So here's, here's my thought initially on the Asbury revival. We're going to get to the details and then I'm going to discuss some biblical things about it. Actually, some historical revivals and then some biblical things about it. We should be glad that God is pouring out his spirit on young people. We should be thrilled that there's an interest in Jesus and worshiping him and praying and repenting and soaking in his presence in this small Christian school in the middle of Kentucky. We should be very careful to try to find fault with what is happening there. To that end, I do Pastor Reacts to the Asbury Revival. Okay, so what are we to think of the Asbury Revival? A couple of facts about it. Uh, it started on Wednesday, February 8th, a simple college chapel service that did not end. Uh, it was led by Reverend Zach uh, Merkrebs in the Hughes Auditorium at Asbury University. Students were encouraged to stay after chapel if they wanted to continue worshiping God. More than two weeks later now, the worship service and prayer service has not ended. Uh, news spread. Christians from across the country have made pilgrimage to witness what God is doing in this small little school in Wilmore, Kentucky. Sarah, a student who attends Asbury University, described the sermon as simply encouraging and challenging about God's love from the book of Romans. To quote the actual message, if you want to become love in action, you start by prostrating yourself before the love of God. Prostrating means laying out flat on your face before the love of God. If you want to become a love, a love in action, you have to experience the love of God. Pretty simple stuff. A passage, uh, the passage of the day was Romans chapter 12. And that simple sermon from that simple pastor in that simple school led to what is now a headline-grabbing movement. I mean, Tucker Carlson is talking about it on Fox News. This is not the first time that this has happened at Asbury University. Uh, 53 years ago, the, the school also had a uh, revival in 1970, and it produced 2,000 Asbury witnessing teams that went around the country to colleges and churches across the nation. Uh, some people have criticized the movement. Some people are saying, let's discern. And I get that. Yep, let's discern. Test every spirit, the Bible says, 100%. I do have a pastor friend from Boston who went to the revival, attended. He said it's the real deal. He said it's just simple. It's beautiful. It's uh, spiritual. It's Jesus-centered. Here's my biggest takeaway that I want to say. No big Christian celebrity or preacher is headlining the event. And that, my friends, is what grabbed my attention. Like, this is not Elevation Worship and Stephen Furtick or... Uh, this is not, you know, Franklin Graham or, uh, you know, Maverick City putting on a concert or Carrie Job leading. This is just university students in middle America praying, repenting, and seeking God. And so the worship hasn't stopped. And I think they are bringing it to an end this week. Actually, the university president said it's just disrupt, disrupting uh, the community so badly that they need to be, you know, careful toward their, um, their community and, and respectful. Of, of the problems that they bring upon the community by having 
this big revival happening on drawing thousands of people from around the country to visit. I was going to go and then I came down with something as you can hear again and I did not make it. But anyway, I was thinking about that fact that there's no big name like there's no headlining event. So many times Christians only go to things when a name is attached to it. Right. And this is part of the problem with 20, uh, 21st century America. We are just like the world in this sense. If there's a big name, we all go in a big way. If there's no name, like if, you're, if your church puts on, a, and, and our church does this, we put on a concert. We had, oh, um, Michael W. Smith. We had, uh, what's the kid there? <laughs> My sickness is not helping me concentrate here. Um, big name celebrity worship leaders and singers have come to our church and, and held concerts. Oh, Phil Wickham. There we go. And then there was a kid who was in um, American Idol who we had at our, at our church. Packed houses for concerts. Celebrities, right? If we have a big name preacher come to the Boston Garden or to some arena in America, big crowds. Joel Osteen does church, uh, Night of Hope across America. Big crowds. But are they coming? to bask in the Holy Spirit, to repent, to seek Christ? Or are they coming for the experience of being in the presence of that big, notable celebrity? You see, this is where we need to repent, really, as a church. God does not need celebrity, importance, or human ingenuity or talent to accomplish great things. I, I think about what Paul tells the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church was attached to big names. They divided based on those big names. I'm of Apollos, they said. I'm of Cephas, that's Peter. I'm of Paul. Some said, I'm of Jesus. And they divided because of who their Christian celebrity was. And then he tells them in verse 26 of that first chapter, consider your calling. Not many of you were wise. Not many of you were powerful, noble birth. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what's weak, what's weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose, chooses what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, that, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast of the presence of God. And because of him, not because of celebrities, because of Jesus, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let one who is boast, boasting boast in the Lord. And then Paul shares his testimony about how he didn't come to Corinth with, you know, wise words, lofty speech. He came in weakness and fear and trembling. He came actually to Corinth, the city of Corinth in the first century, in Acts chapter 17, on the heels of of being disregarded and, and mocked in Athens. And he, and he arrives from, from a very lackluster movement in Athens. He arrives in Corinth in weakness and just kind of beaten up spiritually and physically and emotionally. And yet it's through his weakness that God births a, 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 one of the most dominant churches in the first century in the city of Corinth. This center for human ingenuity, uh, wisdom, intellectualism. And, and the gospel makes headway and, 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 and the power of the Holy Spirit moves through the weakness of Paul the Apostle. And I was thinking about that in our modern age of church. We, we, we got to get away from celebrity. God is not going to move because of our name. My name, Tim Hatch's name, has no power in the heavenly realm. The name of Jesus Christ is the name by which we are saved, the name that causes demons to, to shudder in fear, the name that drives out the darkness, Jesus' name. And maybe Wilmar, Kentucky is teaching us on a global scale, or at least on a national scale, that, that, that that's how God moves. He does not need great people to do great things. This is good news for you. This is good news for the parent right now who's listening to me, and you have that gender-confused kid. 
God does not need you to bring them to the pastor to pray for them. I'm encouraging you to do that. To do that. That's, that's good. You know, but, but, but you, seek God. Seek the name of Christ. Seek God's power in your life. You know, this is what revival should be. It should be focused not on a man, but on Jesus Christ, the God-man. And, and I've seen on Twitter, and I don't even want to share, right, the, the people who are disrespecting this movement and, and trying to find fault. I, I saw on Twitter someone showed this uh, gay person at Asbury College and I guess tried to associate them with the revival. Someone asked, are they repenting of LGBTQ? I don't know. Are they? Maybe there are. How do you know if they're not? Have you talked to every single student that's gone to the, to, to the revival? I know that I've heard stories of repentance from pornography, sexual addiction, um, pills and medication and social media addiction, all these kind of things. This is good. This is good. Now, what you have to understand is that revivals have always been an essential part of America's spiritual history. Now, I want to take you uh, through an article that I found online. This article is from Vladimir Shyshuk. Sechuk, sorry, at uh, pastorflag, vlag, sorry, pastorvlag.org slash awakening. And he talked about the great awakening, 1734 to 43. Uh, this is with Jonathan Edwards up in Northampton, Massachusetts, uh, where, where uh, out of a church of 1,100 people, 600 souls were converted. The news spread like wildfire. Similar revivals broke out in over 100 towns, starting in Philadelphia. In uh, 1739, George, George Whitfield's dramatic preaching was like striking a match to the already underway awakening. An estimated 80% of America's 900,000 colonists personally heard Whitfield preach. He became America's first celebrity. In fact, Benjamin Franklin talked about loving to go and hear George Whitfield preach, even though he wasn't a Christian, and that George Whitfield was the, and his preaching was the impetus in the colonialist movement for independence from England. Like, how do you fight for your independence as a nation when you see the abuses of the, of the, of the uh, royal family, the, the, the king, the, the royalty in, in England? How do you fight a war that you're outnumbered, outmatched for, for, for liberty and for freedom for your people, for the freedom to worship as they will? The Holy Spirit moved through the church, and that's how it happened. Consider he talks about the, the Second Great Awakening, 1800 to 1840. In 1800, only 15 of America's population of 5.3 million belonged uh, sorry, one out of 15 belonged to an evangelical church. Presbyterian minister James McGreedy presided over strange spiritual manifestations in Logan County, Kentucky. The resulting camp meeting revivals drew thousands. From as far away as Ohio, Reverend Gardner Spring reported that for the next 25 years, not a single month passed without news of revival somewhere. In 1824, Charles Finney began a career that would eventually convert 500,000 to Christ. And unparalleled, 100,000 were converted in Rochester, New York in 1831 causing the revival to spread to 1,500 towns. By 1850, the nation's population exploded fourfold, 23 million people, but those connected to evangelical churches grew nearly tenfold from 7% to 13% of the population from 350,000 to 3 million church members. I mean, isn't that good? Then there were smaller revivals, like the businessman's revival of 1857 to 1858. This is 1857. The North Dutch Church in New York City hired a businessman, Jeremiah Lemphier, to be a lay missionary. He prayed, Lord, what would you have me to do? Concerned by the anxious faces of businessmen on the streets of New York City, Lemphier decided to open the church at noon so businessmen could pray. The first meeting was set for September 23, three weeks before the bank panic of 1857. Six attended the first week, 20 the next, 40 the next. They switched to daily meetings before long. All the space was taken and other churches also began to open for businessmen's prayer meetings. Revivals broke out everywhere in 1857, spreading throughout the United States and the world. Some called the Great Prayer Meeting Revival and estimated one million people 
were added to America's church rolls, and as many as one million of the four million existing church members also converted. And notice that church members converted. We, we need that. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry. I'm getting through. We need this. We need to fight for this today. We need to pray for this today. He talks also about the Civil War Revival. I didn't even know about this one. The Civil War Revival, 1861 to 1865, the bitter dispute over slavery thrust our nation into the deadliest war we've ever experienced. By, by the end, six, 620,000 Americans lay dead. Uh, one out of every 50 of the 31 million people counted in the 1860 census. At the start of the Civil War in 1861, it seemed as though the soldiers for both sides had left their Christianity at home and gone morally berserk. By 1862, the tide turned first among the Confederate forces. An estimated 300,000 soldiers were converted, evenly divided between the northern and southern armies. And you say, oh, I don't like those segregationists being converted to Christ. Would you rather them go to hell? Wouldn't you rather them repent and turn to Jesus Christ and, and die in a war and then go and, and be saved eternally? Nobody, you shouldn't want your worst enemy to go to hell. You, wouldn't, you shouldn't want anyone to go to hell. And, and, and how do you rebuild from, from the Civil War without the Spirit of the Lord reviving people's spirits and bringing harmony? How, how do you bring opposing sides back together again if not Christ changes the human heart and brings revival? Then there were the urban revivals of the 18, late 1800s. Uh, D.L. Moody, one of, one of my heroes of the faith. He participated in the Great Revival of 1857 as it swept in Chicago. Moody later conducted revivals throughout the British Isles where he spoke to more than 2.5 million people. This is before airplanes. In 1875, Moody returned home and began revivals in America's biggest cities. Hundreds of thousands were converted. Millions were inspired by the greatest soul winner of his generation. At this time, the general worldview of Americans was shifting away from Christian consensus. Darwinism and higher criticism were gaining traction, and Moody became the first evangelist to come under attack, accused of making religion the opiate of the masses. You need revival when, when the school systems indoctrinate children into error, into falsehoods. We need revival in the churches. We need spiritual leaders to stand up and say, no, thus says the Lord. Then you can go back, and this one actually I have a personal connection to, the revivals of the 1900 to 1906, the Welsh revival in Wales. It spread to Welsh-speaking settlers in Pennsylvania in late 1904, and revival broke out. By 1905, local revivals blazed in places like Brooklyn, Michigan, Denver, Schenectady, Nebraska, North and South Carolina, Georgia, Taylor University, Yale University, and Asbury College in Wilmore, Kentucky, that we just talked about. Billy Sunday, who became a key figure in this time, preached to more than 100 million people, with an estimated 1 million people converted and then this also leads to the azusa street revival in 1906 this is with william seymour an african-american holiness pastor blinded one eye went to los angeles to candidate for a pastoral job but after he preached he was locked out of the second service he began prayer meetings in a nearby home and the spirit of god which they called the second blessing fell after many months of concerted prayer eventually the interracial crowds became so large they acquired the, a dilapidated Methodist church at 312 Azusa Street, where daily meetings continued for three years. The resulting Pentecostal movement and the later Charismatic, charismatic movement, which both, both exploded worldwide in the 20th century, both traced their roots to this revival. And ladies and gentlemen, this guy traces his roots to both the Welsh revival and the Azusa Street revival. My, my wife's mother, her grandfather, her father and grandfather were heavily involved in the Welsh revival in Wales and uh, went to South Africa to be missionaries and, and pastors. And and then my great-grandparents were part of the Pentecostal revival that swept across the nation from L.A. all the way across to Boston, Massachusetts. And I'm, my, my family hails from Boston, Massachusetts. And so I was born, of the Holy, born again and, and, and baptized in the Holy Spirit because I was raised to believe that we should seek that, seek the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Without, without spiritual revivals in the past of America, you, I'm not doing this. I'm not do, I might be doing something else right now. Not that there's anything wrong with doing another job, but I'm just saying. If you appreciate my ministry, 
is you appreciate my efforts. It's not my efforts. It's the Holy Spirit in me. I'm a, I'm a kid from a small town of 5,000 people in Western Massachusetts. You would not know me if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit outpouring in the early 1900s. Then uh, there, he goes on about the post-World War II awakening. This is the latter rain revival, the healing revival. A large number of evangelicals experienced revival resulting in many conversions. It was at this time a great generation of Christian leaders emerged. Bill Bright, Campus Crusade for Christ, 1949. Billy Graham's Distinguished Career, which popularized evangelical Christianity for a new generation, exploded on the scene in Los Angeles uh, by, the by the Christian Businessman's Committee. An estimated 180 million people attended his nearly 400 crusades and millions more viewed on television. College revivals started in the, in as early as 1946. But when the prayer-based Wheaton College Revival of 1950 achieved national publicity, it sparked other college revivals throughout America. Some of these you haven't even heard of. And yet how many of them were necessary for people to, cut, for people to come to Christ? Another one that I have a personal connection to, the Charismatic Renewal and Jesus Movement of the 1960s and 70s. Uh, the first strand was the charismatic renewal, which spread far beyond Pentecostal and holiness churches to college campuses, the Catholic Church, and mainline denominations, including, by the way, the Episcopalian Church, which that's where my parents got saved in a born-again Episcopalian church. Uh, the second strand, the widely publicized sec Jesus movement, emphasized turning from drugs, sex, and radical politics to taking the Bible at face value and finding Jesus Christ as personal Savior. Not surprisingly, this revival spread to college campuses, most notably the 1970 Asbury Revival. Within a week, the revival spread throughout the entire country. In 1976, that's my birth year, by the way, America elected a born-again president, and evangelicalism has continued to prosper from then till now. My first youth pastor was the product of the Jesus movement. He was a former hippie, radically saved. A guy who used to smoke dope and crack and, and, and all kinds of drugs. Jesus got a hold of him. I mean, thank God. Was he perfect? No. Was he, was he, was he uh, a great leader in many ways? Yeah, he was okay, but he was a great man who loved Jesus. And because of the revival that saved him from drugs and alcohol, he had a profound impact on me. And then you talk about this one. Another revival that I have a personal connection with, the mid-1990s revival. I remember this was on the heels of President Clinton's first election uh, because he was the first pro-abortion uh, president elected. It says, despite the widespread uh, secularization of society since the Cultural Revolution that began in the late 60s, in the mid-90s, God once again brought out a series of revivals, mostly to charismatic and Pentecostal groups. In 1994, it was the Toronto Blessing. And I actually went there, by the way, in 1995. It was ushered in, the, uh, ushered in the Melbourne Revival in Florida Space Coast, the Modesto Revival, and the Brownsville Revival in Pensacola, Florida, which recorded 100,000 conversions in two years. College revivals swept across America, starting at Howard Payne University in Brownwood, Texas, under the preaching of Henry Blackaby, a Southern Baptist. And I personally went to the Toronto Blessing and the Brownsville Revival. I personally attended. I had to go. I was in my 20, um, late teens and early 20s. And I, I, I wanted God to move in my life. And yes, there was a lot of weird stuff at the Toronto Blessing, and it turned weirder and weirder. Because sometimes what God starts, man starts to take over and then starts to you know, manipulate to attract crowds. And there's always that danger. Yes, there's always that danger. But when I went to the Toronto Blessing, I was tremendously powerfully touched. And then when I went to the re revival at Brownsville, this is in Pensacola, Florida, my life was changed. And I had already been filled with the Holy Spirit, spoken in tongues at a very early age. But when I went to the Brownsville revival and Steve Hill, I remember was preaching and he was not a well-known evangelist up until that point, but he was preaching straight revival. And the Holy Spirit fell and just, all I can say to you is that that day I was just done with sin. I was done with so many things in my life, even as a Bible college student, that I needed to get right with God and humble myself and seek his power. And I, I got to tell you, I don't know if I would be a preacher today if it wasn't for revivals in this country. 
And so, ladies and gentlemen, my point is that in a country that currently on the outside looks like this, we got Satan worship. We got Madonna looking like Satan. We, we got cartoons telling white kids to hate their country, hate themselves, hate their history, and crotch-grabbing pregnant ladies on the Super Bowl show. Maybe considering the times, we should rejoice when the kids want to worship. Like, maybe, maybe we should give them the benefit of the doubt. I, I will guarantee you right now that it will not be 100% what you think it should be. That, that might be okay with God, right? Text comes to mind is when, when, when the apostles come to Jesus and they say, hey, we saw this guy casting out demons in your name and he's not one of us. You want us to stop him? We told him to stop. He says, Jesus says, what are you talking about? Don't stop him. Whoever is not against us is for us. We need to have a lot more grace towards movements that may not include us. Like, like I didn't get to go. I'm, I'm sad that I didn't get to go. Maybe I will go. Maybe it will still spread. I hope it spreads and I'll be able to go. But, but, but here's my other thought. Something is stirring in America when you got the He Gets Us campaign at the Super Bowl ads and still continuing, by the way, afterwards. And now you got this Holy Spirit revival on the heels of the Grammy Awards. It's like God's just saying, wait a second, America, I'm not done with you yet. And thank God, <laughs> thank God he's not done with us yet. Amen? We need revival. We need, re especially the young people. Oh, get your teenagers in the room right now. Let me talk to you them for a second. Let me talk to them if they're not in there already. We need you. Please hear me. We need you to seek God. We need you to, to feel the presence of the Lord, to experience the presence of the Holy Spirit, to repent of your sins, to turn to him, because this country is in your hands pretty soon. And you say, well, why does God do it in this one little school? Why, is it, why does it seem to be amongst the young? Because they're going to be the ones that will take it with them for much longer than you will. Hey, if I experience revival, which I hope I do, Again, I love it, but I only got what, 30, 40 years left? A 20 year old has 60 some odd years left. Just ask yourself, which is the better investment? God bringing revival to me or to that 20 year old right now? If, if God wants to pass over me to give to the next generation so the next generation is the salt of the earth and the light of the world for, for, for the next 60 to 80 years, God bless, praise God. See, so they're gonna become these teens who are, who are touch, be, being touched by God in Wilmore, Kentucky right now, they're going to become the future teachers in, in public school systems. They're going to become the future administrators, the future preachers, the future leaders, the future businessmen, the future politicians. And I think about how I, to this day, still hearken back with longing to those days at the Pentecostal revivals of my past. And I think about how it shaped me and how I've carried it over these many, many years of my life. See, the scripture says this in Isaiah chapter 59 in the King James Version, verse 19. It says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. Oh, what a promise from scripture. Amen. I see the enemy coming in. You see, hey, how, how, about, how about the good news out of Wilmore, Kentucky is simply this, that for the first time in a long time on the deep end, I'm not talking about something crazy in the culture. I'm talking about something crazy in Christ. Hallelujah. <laughs> Somebody get me a pulpit. I'm ready to preach. <laughs> But man, you know, this is good. So you say, well, is it biblical? Yes. Revival is biblical. I've already talked to you about the revival that we're going to explore in First and Second Kings. They happen regularly over and over and over again. Asa, Hezekiah, Josiah. My personal testimony, I've already shared with you back in the 90s. We, 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 we have this record of, of Scripture and we have a record in Scripture of people calling out to God for revival. 
I think about Isaiah 57, 15. It says, for, for thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity. This is God speaking. Whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. What does God exist to do? To revive our spirits, to revive our hearts. That's why he's there, friends. That's, that's what we should desire. Habakkuk says, chapter three, verse two. Oh Lord, I have heard of your, the report of you and of your work. Oh Lord, I, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. That's, that should be every Christian's prayer right now. Because what we are experiencing in our culture is the wrath of God. Drag queen story hour, make no mistake, is the wrath of God on a culture that has seen so much prosperity and has refused to give God thanks for it. Gender confusion, transgender nuns, top surgery, puberty blockers. This is God's wrath upon a culture. This is God sterilizing a culture of godlessness. And now more than ever, we need God's people to be revived so that in the midst of the wrath that we are seeing in our culture, we, we are revived to bring the gospel to the nations. The psalmist cried out, Psalm 85, verse 4, Restore us again, O God of our salvation. Put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord. Grant us your salvation. Yes, revive us, Lord. Let's, let's not forget in the last book of the Bible, Jesus sent seven letters to seven different churches. One of those churches is named Sardis. And here's what it says about Sardis. Here's Jesus talking to Sardis. And I just want you to read this with me. To the angel of the church of Sardis, write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. You know what another word for wake up is? Revive. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. You know, maybe American churches with our cool churches and our cool bands and our, you know, skinny jean preachers are on there, and I'm one of them. <laughs> I get it. You know, maybe we need to say, wait a second, this is not enough. This is, this is obviously not enough. We need God to move through our services, through our churches. He says, remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. My word. What an incredible warning from our, from, our, from our Lord and Savior. The American church boasts about how, how much it's growing, how big of a crowd we can gather. Man, Carrot Top can gather a crowd. I mean, honestly, Gallagher used to gather a crowd to smash pumpkins, smash watermelons. Gathering a crowd is easy. Making disciples, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we need. So what are my thoughts about the Asbury Revival? Here's my suggestion. Shut down the critics, please. I know it's so popular to criticize something because it's not happening to us or it's not happening the way we should see it happen or it's not happening in the way that we feel. It I get it. The criticism, the number one criticism that I would probably say about it is that, yeah, there's not much preaching happening. And yes, preaching should accompany revivals, but there's repentance. There's soaking in and basking in the presence of the Lord. And if it's teens getting it, oh, wow, hallelujah, good, amen. Okay. Let's have a little bit of COVID really good news, and then we'll close out the show. Really, really, really good. That's really good news. It's good. Uh, the really good news is for all the unvaccinated among us, I being one of them, CBS News finally admitting 
that immunity acquired from a COVID infection is as protective as vaccination against severe illness and death, study finds. Check out this article. Immunity acquired from COVID infection provides strong, lasting protection against the most severe outcomes of the illness, according to research published Thursday in the Lacent. Protection experts say that's on par with was provided through two doses of the mRNA vaccine. Of course, when you avoid the vaccine, you avoid the um, blood clots. <laughs> this is good news in the sense that protection against severe disease and death after infection is really quite sustained at 10 months. Said the senior study author, Dr. Christopher Murray, the director of the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation at the University of Washington. The findings may be a small silver lining to the explosive Omicron outbreak of last winter with so many people infected, many most likely still benefit from that protection against severe disease. Still, experts stress that vaccination is the preferable route to immunity, given the risks of COVID, particularly in unvaccinated people. Yeah. So I've had COVID twice. This is not COVID, by the way. I I know what COVID feels like, and uh, I'm doing fine. I know that some of you needed to get vaccinated, and I don't want to make you feel bad. And that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, in an age of lies, we need the truth. And how do we receive the truth through the Holy Spirit that regenerates the heart to receive it? I remind you of this warning from the White House in 2020, before the winter of 2021, 2022. For the unvaccinated, you're looking at a winter of severe illness and death for yourselves, your families, and the hospitals you may soon overwhelm. I'm reminded of our president constantly talking about this. If you're fully vaccinated, and especially if you got your booster shot, you are highly protected. And if you're unvaccinated, you're at a higher risk of getting severely ill from COVID-19, getting hospitalized, and even dying. So the best thing to do is get fully vaccinated and get your booster shot. Get vaccinated. Get boosted. There's plenty of booster shots. Wear a mask. Go get vaccinated, America. Go and get the vaccination. They're available. All right, that's enough of that. Okay, yeah. The, uh, we, we need Holy Spirit revival. Recently, my church... We did a three-day fast, and we had a service. We call it First Tuesday. This was on a first Wednesday. And I just felt, after praying for those three days with our church, and I got up and I was preaching, and I said, look, we cannot do what we've always been doing and expect God to move in our year, in this year. And uh, so we decided that we're going to fast and pray every month before First Tuesday, all day on Monday, and then head into First Tuesday, prayed up, ready to go. And First Tuesday is an explosive service where we really feel the presence of God. I wonder if you're at a local church or you're another pastor listening to me. How can we pray and step up our game in that, in that regard to see God pour out his spirit one more time? Amen. Look, the, the, the culture is showing us. It's, it's actually begging us to fast and pray. It really is. The darker it is right now in our culture, the more... Our culture is just begging us to say fast and pray. Thanks, guys, for being here. Make sure you hit that like button, the subscribe button, the notification bell, so you can get notified every time we go live. I know it's a shortened edition of The Deep End. Maybe you like that, which means you should like the video. Uh, The reason being is, as you can see, clearly, I am under the weather pretty badly today. The website has some new merch. Check that out. And support the channel, timhatchlive.com slash support or cash tag timhatchlive. I'm so glad that you guys were here. God bless you. Let's pray. Seek God for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that this revival, and we see more and more drops of revival. Who knows? Maybe someday your your child will be looking back on this year, this season, as the season that changed everything for their life and their future. God bless you. Have a good night. I'll see you tomorrow night, I hope, for the deep dive Bible study. God bless.